Knowledge is the fuel that powers intelligent buying and selling. So get a quick recharge with me, Ron Edwards, Master Sommelier and Director of Wine Education for Winebow, Fine Wine, and Spirits. Welcome back to Wine Smart. Today is the last episode in my food and wine pairing series, and we're going to talk about alcohol. It's an important component in wine, and it really plays a large part, but in some narrow places. Texture is a major, and then there are a few food interactions that it's super important. And then the rest of the time, it's just sort of there helping other things or just sort of sitting in the background. Wine averages like 85% water by content, which means that alcohol in wine is a major part of the texture. This is based on the idea that ethanol, beverage alcohol, has a molecular weight of 46, but water has a molecular weight of 18. So that molecular weight of 2.6 times larger than water means that when it joins the solution, the resultant liquid is thicker. That added weight, thickness, viscosity is perceived as a change in texture by us. So it's logical that the percentage of alcohol by volume has a direct relationship to the perceived texture. In addition to alcohol, texture in wine comes from dry extract. Well, what is that? Well, this is what would be left if you pour out a measure of wine and evaporate all the liquid. And what's left behind is dry extract. Dry extract is a mixture of things derived from the grape and from the winemaking process. So dissolved parts of the grape, the skins, the tannins, the anthocyanins, etc. Those are part of dry extract. Residual sugar, uh, when it's not all fermented out, is part of dry extract. Tannin compounds from oak that aren't derived from the grape, definitely part of it. Any yeast cells that are not fully removed through filtration, etc. And then of course, in a wine that doesn't see full filtration and unfiltered wine, you're gonna have fine sediment that's uh, part of that dry extract and the texture of the wine. So the range of total extract in wine, according to uh, wineglossary.com, and there's a link for that in the show notes, ranges from about 17 grams per liter to 30 grams per liter, with the perception of texture following the increase light-bodied at that 17 grams per liter realm and very intense at that 30 grams per liter realm. And the reason I bring all this up is that texture is a very important consideration when pairing wine and food together. Let's start the whole pairing conversation with how alcohol and food interact because there are some elements in the food that do need to be considered before pairing the wine based on alcohol level, but a lot of them don't. So let's start with alcohol and capsaicin, you know, chili pepper heat. These two are definitely not friends. Alcohol and capsaicin amplify each other, which can be very dangerous to the pairing. When capsaicin increases, it makes the alcohol feel hotter and the spice seem more impactful. When you are dealing with a dish that has capsaicin heat to it, uh, a steak au poivre, uh, Thai dishes, a, a lot of aromatic heat laden Mediterranean dishes and the list goes on, the alcohol by volume needs to decrease. Um, look for wines that, you know, 12.5% by volume or less. And we mentioned in last episode how uh, magic this uh, solution becomes when residual sugar and elevated acidity happen to coincide with lower alcohol levels. Then we have uh, the potential for a great marriage with capsaicin heat. The next one is a little surprising, and this one took me a long time to sort of sort out, and it was trial and error, and then the light bulb went on, and that is how alcohol and salt interact with each other. Not intuitive. It became very clear to me when I um, 
was pairing to a regularly held item on a menu in a restaurant that I managed. And it was classic duck confit. And classic duck confit and Pinot Noir sounded like a magic combination. And in many cases it was. But then there were these times when it didn't work and I started to boil it down. Oh, when I was pairing the Pinot Noir from cooler climates with that 135 to 12.5% alcohol by volume, it was working beautifully. But when I put that California blockbuster Pinot Noir next to it at 14.5 or 14.2, all of a sudden the saltiness made the wine feel hot and less fruity and it didn't really work. And so it started to come to me like, oh, when I have elevated alcohol and elevated salt, they don't work together. They, they make the alcohol taste hotter and the wine less fruity. So I started to avoid that pairing. But there is a modification here. So it's good to be aware that if the elevated alcohol coincides with a low pH, elevated acidity, for instance, uh, classic Piedmontese Nebbiolo, um, you know, your your Barbarescos and Barolos are 14, 14.5% alcohol, but they're also high acidity. When those two get together, you can have higher levels of salt and still be happy. The next food consideration is alcohol and fat. This is actually a really good combination because this is all about texture of the fat and then the texture of the alcohol. So fat, that fatty coating on the palate cozies right up to the coating effect of alcohol. So imagine, you know, pork belly and braised beef short ribs. They need a wine with a lot of texture that competes with the food and a little bit higher ABV helps there. And the things that uh, come to mind are Australian Shiraz and things with richness are going to work well with that kind of stuff. But note that just because it's fatty, that doesn't mean that we should go crazy and go find a super high octane uh, alcohol by volume wine because that's what's required. Actually, it's the opposite. Super high octane wines are difficult food and wine combinations because the wine wants to dominate everything. But a fatty dish can tame those uh, you know modern 15 plus percent table wines that we see on a regular basis. All right, now let's talk about alcohol and bitterness. They coincide in the wine, but that's not the same, right? High alcohol and high tannin, they, they exist in the solution of the wine, but I'm talking about bitterness on the plate. And this is one of those things that is, you have to navigate this because the alcohol in the wine and the bitterness in the dish often have a buffer between them so that you don't really see the interaction very well. But if it's clearly there, and an example of that would be bitter greens, Swiss chard, that sort of thing, without something else on the plate that's a, a buffer between that and an elevated alcohol wine, it tends to make the bitter more bitter and the alcohol pop a little bit. Another example of this, in and this I'm a little weird here because a lot of people think I'm crazy, but you know, fortified wines and heavily blue-veined cheeses, they tend to taste more bitter together for me. And it, it, I taste the alcohol more and I taste the blue vein in the cheese more. I know that every uh, British person on the planet that wants their Roquefort and, uh, and Port is thinking I'm nuts, but if you get into it and you really think about and analyze what's happening on the palate, you, you might change your mind. So let's move on into texture because this is super important and I think the best way to talk about it is some examples, but let's lay the groundwork. The most successful approach is that texture needs texture and that's beautiful and simple. So if you have richly textured food, 
you need to go find a wine that has rich texture. If you have richly textured wine, you want to go find that richly textured food. If you have a light, fresh, zippy kind of wine, you want to go find food that isn't going to outweigh it with its own texture. There is a temptation to put them as opposites, right? To say, oh, I'm going to put the contrast pairing together with this light, refreshing, uh, acid-based wine and this thicker, richer style of dish, hoping that there will be a refreshment by the two of them coming together. But you usually lose. And what normally happens is the dish just obliterates the wine. And if you go the other direction and the wine is too big and too textured, the food kind of disappears. It's possible. It can be done, but you have to be really careful. Um, and you need to try it before you put it out in public. So examples that kind of bring this to light where um, light goes with light and heavy goes with heavy and middle ground is beautiful because you have more choices. You know, the classic whipped potatoes. They just want an oak Chardonnay or a rich red wine like Shiraz or Cabernet. Uh, that classic lemon butter sauce that's light and refreshing and doesn't coat the palate too terribly much. That wants Sancerre and refreshing Sauvignon Blanc, maybe New Zealand and dry Riesling from Austria or Australia or Germany and maybe Verdicchio from Italy. Something without a lot of texture but just enough to compete with the butter. Uh, Black Beluga lentils as a side item, right? They're on a lot of plates. I, I, that dish I mentioned with the, uh, with the duck confit, we served that with beluga lentils. There's texture there, but not a lot because it's individual bubbles of texture. And that, that dish wants Pinot Noir or Chianti, maybe Dolcetto. But risotto, where it's a mouthful of texture and richness, that wants Nebbiolo. Your flounder that's uh, seared and placed on your plate or fried even or broiled or however you want to do flounder, it tastes like what you do to it and there's not a lot of texture there. Vino Verde, Pinot Grigio, maybe a Vermentino. Uh, and then that grilled swordfish on the opposite end of the fish spectrum, that wants Merceau, rich, Sonoma Chardonnay. Even a juicy low tannin red wine is where we're heading with a fish of that kind of substance. One opposite that does work for texture is the cleansing nature of sparkling wine. You can succeed by serving bubbles against something that's richer than the wine because the bubbles are very cleansing and they refresh and they expand the nature of how much texture they can work with. So that's one of the reasons that champagne style wines work with so many different beginning courses and how you can actually serve sparkling wine from the beginning of the meal to the end of the meal as long as you have all the um, sugar and acidity requirements covered. So in summary, what we want to do is match textures, keep capsaicin away from elevated alcohols, and remember that salt amplifies the perception of alcohol as well. Check out the show notes for a link to a very good article I mentioned in a minute ago about dry extract uh, from Wine Glossary, and there's a link to the food and wine pairing overview video. Until next time. 